Welcome to the Intern Whisperer Live, the show all about the future of work. So today's guest is Julie Kostick, founder and creator of and director of JK Creative. And welcome to the Intern Whisperer, Julie. Well, thank you very much for having me. I am so excited. She is one of the 28 finalists that also won here at Avalon. So very excited. And we are the first, I'm going to say we're the first, I don't know. I know you told me there was somebody last night, but we're the first using the podcast room here at the fifth floor in Avalon. So cool stuff behind us. So shiny and new. It is shiny new. Yeah. So our show is all about education, innovation in business, and the future of industries and jobs. So I'm going to let Caesar go ahead and kick off our first question. So Julie, tell us a little bit, tell us and the audience about a little bit your education background, your work history, and how you got started in brand development. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, my whole life, I always knew I wanted to be an artist. I actually, I thought. I would be a Disney animator for a long time. Uh, but then I you know, started thinking about what would be a great way. You always hear starving artists. Um, so I came to the conclusion I should figure out how to make art work uh, with money as well. Um, so I ended up going to school and I went to Towson University in Maryland and uh, I double majored. So I actually studied both graphic design in the art school and then studied mass communications uh, with oh, that's really smart. Yeah, that is so smart. I wish, I, you know, I think everybody that goes to school should honestly take an advertising or a PR or marketing class, no matter what you are, even in education, like mm -hmm. you all need it. Yeah. yeah. Smart, Julie. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just, I, I found, you know, instead of just making things look pretty to look pretty, what's the reasoning behind that? Um, so that I feel like was a really solid starting point. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, most of my early career was spent in, uh, at the, um, in the advertising agency side. Um, so I worked uh, in the Baltimore and DC area and a lot of different agencies, um, and then also spent some time in-house as well um, at Under Armour and uh, Walden University. Nice. So I know you mentioned that you worked with some of the agencies, and sometimes there's some questions they pop mm -hmm. up just because of an answer. Um, a lot of students that are looking for internships, they always want to be able to work in an agency. Mm -hmm. Did you work in small, medium, and like the largest ones that were out there, or did you have a particular industry size that you were working with? Yeah, I, um, I'm trying to think. So when I started in my internship, I was at a smaller one. Like mm -hmm. it was 10 people. It's now much bigger. Um, but I was there during the early stages. Mm. Um, and then I would say most of the agencies I worked at were pretty like medium to large, like 50 to 100 people. That's nice. So, you really get a very, very, I think, rich experience mm -hmm. because you're interacting with, you know, other, I, I would definitely say different people in different departments, but different levels of experience. And then also just, I'm sure, Okay, another question that came out, and this is in my mind, I was going to say with men and women, but do you think that there is one particular gender that is more dominant in your industry? You know, I think, um, I feel like in the ad agency world, it's it's been pretty nice. Uh, it's, it's a it, good mix. It's a good mix. I feel like there's been, you know, I've had, um, actually, I've probably had more female bosses, actually, um, but a good mix and split of, you know, genders and ethnicities and all sorts of different people. So, mm. yeah, which has been great to see. 
That is really, really nice to see because honestly, when I've gone to some other companies here in the Orlando area, I don't know if it's intentional. I'm going to say yes, it might be because some of them, these agencies have more women than mm-hmm. I see men. And I'm thinking who's in this hiring process or is it just because, is it intentional that I see that they're selecting women or is it because women tend to gravitate to the industry? I think a lot of it, like if you're looking at a traditional full service agency is a lot of, you'll see a lot of women in the media side, um, purchasing, um, and then uh, like as account executives, mm-hmm. we're all see a lot of males dominate more in like the web development area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess overall they might balance it out, but definitely I think different departments are, are could be, I think creative's always been pretty split for me though. So maybe that's probably yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, that's interesting. Um, where did JK, we can tell it's your name, <laughs> right? But what is the history? Why did you choose that particular to use your name as the brand? Because that makes you the brand, mm-hmm. you know? And that's a, oftentimes people don't, when they start up, if it's a consulting business or if it's uh, some other type of industry, they'll put their name in there. And what they may not have realized is that everything that they do is front and center, mm-hmm. what, whatever you put in social feeds. So you have to be aware of certainly messaging and how you want to portray yourself. So why'd you choose that? Um, I think, you know, many agencies that I've worked at had, I feel like my resume was alphabet soup mm-hmm. <laughs> with a lot of similar, um, you know, abbreviations for owners, last names. Um, and honestly, I, I think I picked it pretty quickly just because I was trying to get my LLC registered. Oh yeah. Um, and I thought the K and the creative sounded good together versus, yeah, you know, I agree. JK design. It doesn't sound as nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then I figured, you know, if it's going to be mine, why not kind of put my mark on it without it being, you know, Julie. <laughs> How many years did you work in your industry before you actually decided to venture off on your own? Because many times um, as the interim whisperer, you know, we have a lot of students that uh, work with employers, our employers, as well as, you know, come in my doors. And I cannot begin to say, oh, I want to consult. And I went, you should go get some experience mm-hmm. with a company. So you have an idea of what you would want to specialize in, how to actually consult. Uh, you just only know what you've learned in school. You don't have any tangible, real experience at this point in time. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree. I actually, I, I give this advice a lot is, you know, it's so tempting when you first got out of school to say, yeah. oh, I'm going to go freelance because, you know, you can make more per hour. And um, But I think that there's so much knowledge that you can gain by actually getting you know, a job, getting a job, working with folks. And I feel like, you know, especially on the ad agency side, it's, um, it's even, you know, faster paced. I mean, you're working crazy hours, but it's so much fun. And like, I feel like you learn so much in a year at an agency compared to some other places. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had friends that went and freelanced, you know, soon, like early on in their career. And I think, um, you know, I feel like sometimes you, you just kind of are a little more stagnant, like you, yeah. you haven't, you know, developed all your skills yet. And then you're kind of just where you started, where, you know, I spent a good decade, um, you know, trying different companies. And, you know, that's why I also went like in-house to Under Armour and, and um, Walden was to kind of see, compare, you know, agency versus that. Um, you you know, were a contractor there? I was Walden or in-house. I, I was full-time in-house at Walden. Yeah. Um, and then, and yeah, and there's, there's so many, like being able to learn from so many different people and different clients and, um, you know, and then as your career grows, you know, late, you know, you start off and you're more the technical side of, okay, I'm, I'm production or I'm design. 
Um, but then as you move along, you know, getting that management experience, how do you, you know, balance finances and uh, plan, you know, art like direction. Doing your shoots. first invoice, right? Like there's so much <laughs> that you don't know when you're over there yeah. on that side of freelance, like what you were just saying. Exactly. So I think, um, you know, for me, it was, I, I finally hit that point where I was like, okay, I feel like I've learned that breadth of knowledge that I need to be a successful business owner. So I find it very insightful that you also mentioned that you wanted to shoot for like about 10 years. I feel like, um, I don't know, I'm going to ask Caesar to weigh on after I share my opinion, but I feel like it takes a good five to seven years to work in a particular industry to have some level of depth to industry knowledge. And then you finally have a clue as to what is going on in that job. When I worked for the Nature Conservancy, I've shared this on some other shows, is that their philosophy was it takes two years to definitely learn your job, learn the company, and be able to do it with a reasonable high level of expertise. I found that to be true, two years. And I see people that will jump from job to job and even still, you know, longevity is everything to be able to have something that's substantial to bring to the table. Um, Caesar, what do you think about our conversation so far? You have thoughts? Yeah, it, uh, that's true. It does. I know from experience, like I know I used to, I, the company I, I work for now, I worked for them for four years. And when I was starting out, I was really like, wasn't really in the groove with it, but now I'm like more excited. I've been working there for like more than over three, three to four years. So it does take a little more time than what you feel comfortable with. Cause like at first you're like, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. Do people like me or like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Like, am I, like all that nervousness, anxiety that hits you, but like the more you do it, the more you get used to mm -hmm. doing it. Like, cause, you, cause you're in your group, you know, you know you're in, yeah, you're confident, you know what you're doing, you know what your job is, you know what you gotta do every day in and out. So it's, yeah, so it is, it's, I, I do agree like five, five years, I think five, five, 10 years probably like that, that space where like you get like that confidence where you know, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know what, I'm going to do when I get to my office. Like, so it does take a, 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 a minute to like get in the groove. So uh, Julie, tell us about the services that JK Creative provides and who your ideal customer would be. Um, and if you want to also any of that startup story because you mentioned finances and having to navigate things that you didn't learn in school. So throw it all in there if you would like. All right. Um, yeah, so I think just, you know, having an agency background, I feel like that's kind of carried over into JK Creative. Um, you know, first and foremost, I feel like we're founded mostly with design. Mm -hmm. So with that, um, you know, we work on a variety of projects, everything from um, logos and branding to um, websites, print work, social media, um, and then even some like more interesting things like environmental design, food packaging. Um, so there's definitely that variety that we, we like to do. Um, and then the team kind of expands into some other roles too, as far as you know, web development, SEO, copywriting, um, kind of all, all of the creative things. <laughs> yep, that's necessary. I, you mentioned food packaging yeah. and I find that so amazing. I've gone on to these other, whether it's, I don't know, documentaries, but how they make food look so delicious in the advertising world. And they'll throw, okay, so this is really glue that we're using here and all of these tricks. Do you have any insight that you'd like to tell our listeners as to how you've been able to make food look so amazing? 
whether it's spraying it with lacquer because it <laughs> looks like I want to eat it now. <laughs> food photography is definitely an art form and there's a lot of a lot of weird non-food things involved with making it look good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah so how do they make meat look uh, like it's right off of the griddle? That's one of the things that I was wondering and I don't know if it's like spraying it with I don't know, something to make it look like it's all bubbly. Yeah, I, uh, I, can't, I feel like I knew this at one point, but yeah, it's usually not hot meat. Right. Um, but they spray it so it looks juicy. And then I'm trying to, I don't know, there's also like a lot of different tricks. I know like glue is used a lot of the time. Yeah. For, um, like the milk mustache, that's a classic example. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. And I think that, well, you know, I'll go down that pathway to, too long. But anyway, I think food packaging is super, super interesting. So um, what is one of the, the most favorite and interesting shoots that you've actually done? Um, I would say when I, when I was at Walden University, we were doing a campaign um, talking about, uh, you know, folk, they were targeting people that were kind of leaving their career, kind of getting into retirement stage and wanting to go back to school to become a professor, um, that kind of role. Mm. So it was, so we worked on this big social media campaign uh, that required a photo shoot. And what we did is we actually had all these different actors that would dress as um, like showing their progression. So we, we staged them and dressed them in their normal work clothes. And then they had like a cap and gown on or, you know, went from looking like a job to like a professor. Um, but we, it was really interesting because we had to stage them in precisely like the same place and then the repose them. Mm -hmm. oh. And then we shot all these pictures. And then on the other end, we had to kind of line everything up so that we could um, morph them. So they kind of slowly faded from one to the other. Oh, that sounds super interesting. So we go from being a classroom student and then we go to graduation and then it might be the first job. And then I don't know if they end up looking a little bit different, but then they are becoming an adjunct professor. Mm -hmm. So like four stages is how I could see that. Yeah. Did you try to make them age? Not so much age. It was more in the hairstyle and in, in like the costuming, like the, yeah. the one man look. It was funny. He almost looked like he reversed because he was in like a business suit from his day to day job. And then we morphed him into, you know, like a nice professor jacket holding books with glasses on. Mm -hmm. um, and then the background morphed too. But, yeah. but that was kind of cool, kind of creating this idea with, um, you know, motion. And transition, mm -hmm. really a transition in life. That, that would be really, really interesting. Yeah, I could see something like that working really, obviously, in the education sector. Um, something that I've seen that happens in the side of either creatives whether it's the game industry or if it's video or if it is in um, software developers, is they don't seem to have to have very much of a change of wardrobe. They pretty much come in either all black um, or they come in with some type of a graphic design on a t-shirt and jeans. They, I can't, I can honestly not tell the difference. And I think that would be the challenge is to make them look like they, we're not a student anymore and now they're a developer and I'm going pretty much that would maybe be better equipment maybe <laughs> I'm not sure same wardrobe <laughs> yeah because it's like they're wearing the same clothes <clears throat> I know that was one of the questions that um 
Michelle, who's director of operations and growth with me here at Intern Pursuit, she had said, well, how come when the students are on meetings uh, with you, they, they don't they don't actually, like one was in a muscle shirt and she said, why is it that they're not dressed up? And I said, well, it's not the interview. So the interview, they know how to dress and they usually come dressed up. But when it's like a, a check-in meeting and you know I'm checking on their IDP or giving them you know feedback or we're in a team meeting, it's not quite the same. And this was just a check-in with the student. And I said, I, I really don't care what they are wearing at that point in time because it's not the same. But if we were going into a meeting with a customer, then yeah, you got to bring your game for sure. So Julie, we talked about um, industries that you like to focus on. So Julie, <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you attended um, an art school and also that you studied graphic design. I have seen a really big difference in how uh, a fine art student approaches graphic design versus a student that studies it in a two-year program. What do you think the difference is? Um, I think, you know, with, with the program I was in, um, you know, we definitely had that foundation of art. You know, we did all the drawing and painting and sculpture and to really give us that good base before we got too far into the computer aspect. Um, and I actually remember being really frustrated in school at first because mm -hmm. I would have these great you know, ideas in my head and I didn't know how to get the computer to do what I saw. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, getting over that hump was really, um, really challenging because, you know, you, you draw and you just, you just draw, but, right. but learning how the mouse and all the programs work and, and it was just different. Um, but I think, uh, I, you know, I think there were definitely folks in my program that still kind of had that fine art feel like they, you know, would make really interesting uh, graphic design art. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, you know, the students that were really successful are the ones that did kind of think more commercially about it. Like who is the audience? Why are we making this? What's, what's the purpose? Um, where, you know, fine art, you're, you're usually, you know, doing it for, for you. Like, you I know. agree. I so agree. So I could definitely see the difference in how they would pre uh, present something to me. And I'm an art wannabe. I, I took a lot of art classes, you know, in school, uh, one of them at University of Florida, my first two years, and they threw a bunch of paper bags up on a stage and they said, okay, sketch them. And you got to get the lines and the shadows and the creases. It was ridiculously hard. And I went, this is hard. I am not going to be able to be an artist because I didn't, I was passionate about it, but not enough to try and mm. learn the skills. And I think that people are, I think people are kind of born with that skill, honestly, and they can do it better than somebody like myself. But then at Rollins, where I graduated from my last two years, I took every art class. So I took, you know, sculpture and painting and everything that you just, you just illustration. And I took them and I was still going, I love it, but I know I'm not that. But it did give me a deeper appreciation of just the art process. And so then when I started working with graphic designers, it is more focused on on things that are exactly for print and then also for web um, but how they approached it was very different mm -hmm. because it wasn't as as hands-on you're definitely interacting with a machine so the results are different what i learned from them is how um, 
some colors look on the screen mm -hmm. are not, you know, may not work for print. Whereas um, print, you know, you can have like fluorescence and neons and they look great mm -hmm. in print, but they look horrible on the screen. So I learned so much from that process. And, uh, and just from those people that I felt like, wow, this is, you know, a whole level school, but how they demonstrated that skill was, um, the artist, the one that was really an artist, I think that they took more time to make sure that the measurements were more exact, that there was uh, depth and richness to us that I had not seen before from somebody that had the, I'm going to say a two-year degree, but I don't know, can you have a two-year art degree, just like fine art? I think it's like a four-year degree, but I, I really don't know. Yeah. At your school, was it? Um, my school was all four-year degrees. Yeah, um, and I, I think know, art typically is. Yeah, and I know a lot of um, a lot of folks would transfer into like many would have a two-year mm -hmm. craft design degree and then move into the four-year. And I definitely, I definitely recommend. I think the four-year gives you more of that like, balance. Balance, I think, like yeah. the art with the the skills. Where I think the two-year, it's really hard to to get all that fit in. Like, and and truly, I think it's you know, school will get you so far. Like mm -hmm. you, you learn these. Uh, learning the programs and the tools that's kind of more on your own like playing around like really in school what you're getting is that guidance from the teachers to um you know start finessing your art and expanding your thinking and really getting used to the critique process mm -hmm. so i think that's a huge part um is you know really getting used to um you know people telling you what to change <laughs> oh yeah and being open to feedback and not taking it personal yes. because i was an english major and so if somebody came in and you know, it's like so personal for anybody that was a writer, like, oh, this is what I wrote. No, that's feedback and that's valuable mm -hmm. and that's money. So you need to pay attention to what other people are saying because you're not writing for yourself, you're writing for an audience. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I found very interesting about uh, graphic designers is I could tell what their personality mm -hmm. and their interests were based on how they designed their logo and the color palettes that they selected. Oh yeah. And so then I began to think, well, how, how much of your personality, your, your preferences are a part of that process of when you work with a customer? Do you, do you see that you're, that you can give the customer, okay, you're not a game, you're not a game artist. So I'm going to use that because that's a completely opposite side of it. So do you think that if a game company came to you and said, okay, we want to have something that's super edgy, it needs to have these colors and all of this, that you can, you can do that? Or do you feel that um, you have a particular industry and, or a particular kind of customer that you gravitate to? Because I think I would be the latter. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose the ones that are going to be low hanging fruit, so to speak, and easy for me to work with because I know I'd be able to hit it like this. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you do? What do you think? You know, I think, I think there's a lot of graphic designers that, you know, develop a style and kind mm -hmm. of stick in a certain niche. Um, I think, you know, our client base has been so varied mm -hmm. um, that we really have had to develop different styles. I mean, you, you look at someone like Under Armour and it's like, that's, you know, this, kind of more Strong edgy colors. fitness, like yeah. really, you know, almost like a masculine font to it, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, other, other clients have been more colorful and, you know, scripty fonts. And then we have other ones that are more corporate. It's got to be clean and, and, um, you know, not too simple, playful, you know? Yeah. Um, 
so I think, you know, we, we try to, you know, offer, you know, different styles to different clients. Um, but I do think naturally there are going to be certain things that come through in your work. Like I, I know a lot of ours is really colorful. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we present a lot of different options for the clients, but a lot of them end up choosing ones that are kind of similar, I think. So like when Mm -hmm. I look at my portfolio, I'm like, okay, it's, so I don't know if those just end up being stronger or if, if people might gravitate towards things that they like. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's like why they've chosen me over someone else. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think something to think about now when you're starting to yeah. work with customers, <laughs> right? Like you could even ask, ask that as a question. So why did you choose this particular style or anything? Mm-hmm. What, what is it that attracted you to, you know, our company? And you'll probably find out, oh yeah, we like your font and blah, blah, blah. And that'll be like huge insight for when you're actually designing something for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Yep. So uh, let's see here. We talked about the specialties and your favorite project. And then, oh, what do you think are some of the keys to branding? Oh, okay. That's a, that's a great one. That's Caesar's question. <laughs> I just stole it right from him. Um, yeah. It, it's <laughs> funny with branding. You can ask a bunch of different people, what is branding? Mm-hmm. And you get a bunch of different answers. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, a logo is a big part of that. Um, when we work on a branding project, that's, that's where we start. Um, you know, and, and so does one color, should people use just one color? Because that was a question that I had with, you know, somebody else Mm -hmm. that we just met earlier. And I have, I have, um, white, black, and a red. And then this, we have a primary color palette and Mm -hmm. then we have a secondary that we can use to play with. So, I know that the more colors that you add, it can be some complexity and it certainly is more costly with the printing of Mm -hmm. it. However, I didn't think that you had to choose just one color as a brand to make a brand. I thought it could be. So so the key is, is you want to start in one color when you're developing because you want to make sure that wherever you go, how is it going to work when you're scaling it back to, you know, screen printing a t-shirt or putting it on a promo material? you at least want to think about how does that work? Oh, okay. And then, so we always work on all of our initial logos in black. Mm. And then that way also, you know, as clients are looking at them, they're not getting swayed because this one's green or that one's red. You know, it's all, it kind of levels the playing field. Um, And then from there we do, you know, color exploration and look at a variety of palettes. Um, And then from there, we actually do the same thing as you were saying, you know, we have the primary, we try to keep it to just, you know, a couple colors. Then we have secondary, which is a little more expanded. And then we'll usually throw in accent colors too, mm-hmm. because that's important if you're doing digital work, you know, you want to be able to pop a color, um, the button to do A-B testing, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. just to give you flexibility down the line. So mm, That's really, really good counsel there. So when you mentioned something else, let's see, there was another question that popped up. I don't know, Caesar, if you have a question, but feel free to just let me know because you know that I will dominate during this time that we have. Did you have a question? No, I think I'm good. Okay, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure that I gave you a minute there. So um, back to the branding Mm -hmm. side. Um, Media kit, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but there's media kit and press kit. Is there a difference? I To me, I thought they were the same, but I've gone to some websites and so it'll say, Media is their logos, it'll be their style guides, it will be their fonts, and then there's something else that's in there. And the press kit is normally anything that's, you know, an announcement. Are they treated differently? Because like, 
I have a style guide. Mm -hmm. I have a style guide for my print. I have a style guide for the web. And then we have a style guide for our academy. So they are all the primary and secondary. And now you threw accent colors. I'm going, <laughs> I don't know. Now we got to go back and think about accent colors too. So the colors are consistent, you know, through all of that. And I thought that was partly what branding was, is making sure that the use of the, the font and the colors is consistent in all um, print and digital and social mm -hmm. outlets. I don't know. What, what advice could you share with our listeners about all of that that I just threw at you? Yeah, I think, you know, branding is really any touch point that your, you know, current customers, potential customers, anyone out there is going to see and, and see a representation of your company. So, you know, that's everything with logos, the typefaces you're using. And that can get a little tricky because you may have an awesome typeface on your print stuff, but then you have to scale that back to something more simplistic for, you know, a Microsoft Word letterhead template or, mm. um, you know, an email. Um, you know, you want to look at your messaging. You want to look at, you know, what are all those, all the, all of those templates, if you will, like from an mm -hmm. email signature to, uh, you know, PowerPoint to, you know, I think when I hear press kit and media kit, I definitely think more of a traditional um, you know, press release, or this is our document that's kind of about us and our statistics, where I think I probably use the term more like brand, brand style guide, mm -hmm. brand kit, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and then even just, you know, even in your office, like using, using your color palette through your design and decor or, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, the more you can be consistent and carry it through everything, the more strong your brand is going to be and the more you know, professional and well represented your brand is going to look to, to everyone out there. Yeah, I know that uh, one of the other guys down at another place where I work out of, he felt that uh, branding is everything and that if you, you don't need to spend money on ads, I would disagree. That's <laughs> a big noisy market out there. But, you know, he said with a really good branding campaign, you can actually um, get to the top of the SEO. And uh, I use a, a Wix website, so I'm not going to lie about that. But, you know, I found it really easy to at least use because it was similar to PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. And they provided a lot of the resources there. But it really does take a, a person such as yourself to guide somebody through that process and make sure everything they're putting out there is like, okay, did you double check all of your fonts? And then, mm -hmm. you know, let's check with the SEO because you mentioned that's one of your other services. So you can get to the top of the list. So branding, I don't know, what do you think? I think branding, I think he's got a valid point. Branding is consistency across and mm -hmm. that's how you find, you know, your or your customers can find you. Yep, absolutely. And then it's just, it. it's also every impression of your brand it's just you know furthering that exposure and that it, you know people will remember you like I know I know there's some people that think a logo is not that important or it is you know and it's just like well people are gonna see that and visually remember it way more than if they're just seeing your name in in writing every mm -hmm. time um and yeah and I think you know for a lot of our clients we do you know it's a lot of like not fun stuff per se, but it's important stuff. You know, we're actually rolling out a bunch of things right now for a client where they're 
brand got messed up. Mm -hmm. All their colors were mismatched because someone, no, yeah, their, between their PMS and their CMYK and their um, RGB, all the blues were all over the place. And so they're like, what is wrong? Everything looks wrong. And so we're, yeah. we're taking it back to the basics and getting, getting it all that sorted out. Yep. And so we're, you know, we're rolling out Canva templates for them so that they can continue using, you know, they start with a design that we do, but then they're able to kind of take ownership of that and mm -hmm. not have to come to us for everything. That's um, good. Yeah. Oh, so you, a blend of technology. Hey, Caesar, while we're talking, would you pull up um, Julie's logo and her website just so our viewers uh, and listeners can, you know, certainly know what it, where to find it. And then you can kind of switch around between those great pictures of some of her work that she did. Um, and then I'll let Julie kind of chime in here on some of those great um, images that she provided to us. So while you're talking about that, mm -hmm. I want to go back to Canva. So we use Canva and mm -hmm. they have so many great templates. And I like that you're being really thoughtful about um, a, a customer's budget. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, I don't, I haven't encountered anybody that did that. So I would think that would be part of your unique offering that you're bringing to everybody is like, here's some things, we'll show you how you can do this for yourself. And then you can run it past us and you keep your client for life then I would think. We, yeah, we do keep a lot of clients and, and I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, we want to help our clients succeed. And there's a lot of designers out there that are like, oh, I will not touch Microsoft PowerPoint. I hate it. Yeah. And it's like, it's not, it's not the, you know, glamorous design, but it's at the end of the day, it's something that is really important for certain businesses to function. Mm -hmm. So we'd rather, you know, make sure that we're giving them a really well-designed PowerPoint that's easy to work with and they're happy. And same thing with web. You know, I know a lot of people will kind of hold a website hostage. We'll run into that situation a lot where they own it. You know, you need one, one little typo and you're paying this high hourly rate. You know, a lot of sites that we do for folks is we get them set up and, and, and running, but then, you know, teach them how to make those small edits on their own. And then when it's something that's significant enough to really need a design eye, then they'll come back to us. Mm, really good stuff there. So you had any luck yet pulling it up? Yeah, I'm gonna pull up her logo. Okay, well, I'm gonna take just a second so we can acknowledge our sponsor. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Okay, so we're back to our show. And as a reminder, our show is all about internships and remembering great mentoring advice. But while we're going to be talking, uh, Caesar's going to be sharing some uh, information here about uh, JK Creative. So, Julie, why don't you tell us about your logo here? Because I see you've got that word creative. It's creating a nice balance of, if you will, a base at the bottom. And you, you chose not to make that C capitalized. So you want to tell any of our listeners here? I'm going to make some guesses as to why, but I'm going to let you. You're okay. the expert. <laughs> So it's, it's funny when, um, when I was developing our original logo, I, I feel like everyone, all the agencies around were using orange. So I feel like I wanted to gravitate towards something that was the opposite. Um, and I wanted a color, you know, that I liked and still represented me in this, this blue. I, you know, I feel like it's, it has a feminine edge, but it isn't going to scare people away and be like, oh, it's, you know, pink, it's too, it's too girly. 
Um, well, blue is also a trust color is what I learned. Oh. Yeah. That's why the healthcare industry likes it so much. Is and because, banking. Yeah. It's supposed to be blue is supposed to be trust. And every color has some type of a meaning to it is what I was told. And I went, you know what? That makes sense to me. And when I was working in nonprofit, they said that when you use this color combination, it's uh, an ivory and a Valentine red. When you put that together, mm -hmm. it evokes uh, feelings of love. And it actually, in that industry, it makes people give more money. Interesting. So that's why a they use it in print. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, for this, we kept it pretty simple um, just so that it would have, you know, classic staying power, you know, the emphasis on the JK and then the creative, um, you know, this font is Chalet and it's just one that um, I have always loved because it's got, you know, a really nice character to it and just, you know, making the C lowercase, it looks a little friendlier and it also just kind of locks up better, keeping everything the yeah, same. Height. I really like it. I like it very, very much. Um, I think that it's very easy to read and I like the spacing between each letter so that it, it feels like there's, I call it breathing space. And mm -hmm. so I feel like when I look at it, I'm going, it's not squished. I feel like I can actually absorb it very quickly within seconds. Well, thank you. Yeah. So you, do you have another one of her pictures that she shared with us? You have that? Yes. Ooh. Oh. So Got a nice variety pack here for us. Yeah. So go ahead and walk us through this. Yeah. So this was one of our clients is the cleaning authority. So some might be familiar with them. They're a nationwide, um, you know, professional cleaning company. So they had um, really depended on direct mail for a long time and they reached out to us and wanted to kind of revamp it and see what they could do. Um, so this was very, it was a really fun project because we, you know, got to concept so many different things, like just crazy ideas of how to get people to pay attention to this mailer and, and be like, yes, I think I need house cleaning. Um, so we worked through, you know, tons of options that then rolled out into direct mailers, uh, social media campaigns, emails, all of that good stuff. Um, and then actually they, they saw a really good um, uptick with the direct mail. The one of the ones that we designed, it outperformed everything else, um, you know, sales went up. So, mm. so that's always really rewarding. That's good. Yeah. And then when it shows up in your own mailbox, you're like, Hey, I did that. that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> super nice. Yeah. And there's that, uh, it's so funny because I have a PC and you have a Mac, right? Mm -hmm. And so it looks entirely different on our screens, at least on my screen. Um, and I'm looking at yours going, wow, it's so really beautiful and colorful over there. I'm not as happy with it on my screen, oh. <laughs> but I do like it on the Mac for sure. Um, the life is sweeter. All of these are for the same customer, right? So mm -hmm. catnaps, and then we have all of these products uh, that are here and then the cupcake. Yep, yep. So yeah, it was interesting. And since they they were doing so many different you know tests and then social media kind of gives you more um, you know, wiggle room to try different things. That's it. So we, we got to do so many styles just within one project, which was really fun. Mm, yep. It looks super, super nice. Well, thank you for sharing that. So we're going to jump over here into what would a typical, oh wait, great mentoring advice. <laughs> what was the best mentoring advice that you ever received um, or that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah. And it can be both, honestly. Um, I think, you know, something that really, I, I've, I've had so many great mentors, like so many great um, 
you know, female bosses to look up to and, you know, talented artists. I think, um, you know, I always really appreciated the ones that were, uh, took the time to, you know, pull me aside and, and really coach me versus just, you know, big red Sharpie, fix this, yeah. you know. Don't tell you the why. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually somebody gave me a book once. Um, it was called, oh my gosh, it's not how good you are. It's how good you want to be. Oh, so, nice book. I and like I think, it. you know, I think that's such really good advice because it's, especially in a creative field where, you know, we were talking about you, your art is kind of an extension of you and it's hard to take, mm -hmm. um, you know, critique and all that, but really embracing that and being like, what are all the things that I can do to keep continuously making my work better? Mm -hmm. And just because, you know, you're in this particular job in this particular role and you feel like you're not excelling, it doesn't mean you can't. Mm -hmm. um, and just, just keep striving. If you want to be, you know, an award-winning designer, keep, you know, working on your craft and, and, you know, find the right fit where, you know, that's going to work. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time, you yeah. know, it's, uh, you know, you get out of school and it's, you know, you're not going to be in your dream job a year out. It's going to take some time, but, um, but just knowing that that opportunity is out there. And I've seen a lot of people do really well just by continuing to believe in themselves and, and, and shoot for what they want, not, you know, getting stuck on some path. I agree. So I remember you telling me that you had, uh, you've used interns before, they've come and worked with you, mm -hmm. and that you had a really great inspiring story is that you ended up hiring one. So what would a typical day look like for an intern to work with you in your business? And let's start with the person that you hired. Yeah, so um, shout out to Michaela. <laughs> yeah, that's the purpose there. Give um, her some recognition. So, so yeah, she she was one of my um, early on interns. I've had quite a few design interns over the years, and you know, at JK Creative, we really we know we want it to be like a give and take. Like as much as it's nice to have help on the team, at the end of the day, I really do enjoy mentoring and you know helping people hone their craft. Mm -hmm. So I think a really big balance to that is there's kind of like two things that I focus on. First off, I, you know, want to know um, what the designer is strong at, like what do they enjoy doing? Like, let's say they really like logos. I want to make sure to throw them a couple logos and let them do, you know, what they're good at. But then also figuring out, okay, where are you lacking? You know, have you done print ads before? Or, you know, uh, you know, do we need to work on those? So mm -hmm. like, let's, you know, get you trained on that. So I think, um, you know, it's definitely a balance. Like sometimes it's it's work that's more production and technical, like, hey, we need to resize all these images or, you know, get this piece ready for print. And that's also a really important thing is, yeah, is. is teaching students. How to know, package it. Yeah, because you don't really learn that in school. So mm -hmm. learning all those little techniques of, you know, what makes something quality and ready for press. Um, and then, you know, other times the project will be more conceptual where, mm -hmm. hey, let's let's go crazy and work on some cleaning authority, you know, direct mail campaigns. Um, and then just, you know, when the opportunity is there for, you know, I love to invite them to like client meetings or, you know, I remember one time, you know, we were working on the holiday card and it was a field trip to the mall so that we could, you know, go get inspiration, oh, you know, see like, you know, what's in the card shops <laughs> or what's at stores. Cause you never know where you're going to find inspiration in like store windows or colors or um, you know, and that's just an easy place to go where you can see a lot of different things at once. What I like is that you took them away from a computer so that they're, they're actually out in the world mm -hmm. and seeing what's, you know, available and around them. Because I think everybody goes, oh, look it up in their phone or look it up, mm -hmm. you know, on a computer. But my goodness, there's like 
go look at the environment itself. Mm -hmm. You know, the variety of greens that are in trees and you can see the depth of it yep. to really get some really good inspiration. That is good advice there yep. for sure. And that's, that's a really good point is you'll actually find some of the best um, design work can be when you start off the computer screen. So if you're bringing in original photography or you're hand sketching something and, and then turning that into vector and illustrator, that's when you really create a lot of unique, you know, your artwork kind of expands versus just, you know, starting in the computer program. Oh yeah, beginning. yeah. Get away from the computer <laughs> as much as possible. And anyway, so we're going to take just a minute so I can give a tip of the week for our employers. Um, the interim whisper tip of the week is Department of Labor's criteria number three. And it, I am reading it straight from the DOL criteria. The extent to which the internship is tied to the intern's formal education program by integrated coursework or, and that's a key word there, the receipt of academic credit. And so what this means is for employers, some employers will say that they will do it for academic credit for the student. The student is paying the school money to take it as an elective class. And as such, for the employer, you want to make sure that you're providing a really good intern experience for them because that student is paying money and you may, it may be an unpaid internship. If it is not for school credit, then the student is coming in as a volunteer, and that is totally acceptable also, as long as it is tied to that particular major that they are studying in school. So I would not bring a graphic designer in and have them do video work for me unless they are doing some type of a dual degree is at the bottom of the uh, line for our employers. So we're gonna look at eight types of graphic design careers that people can explore. So what do you think about this? We're just gonna go over them and it sounds like you're doing a lot of this already in your business. Marketing and advertising, you do that in your company, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Packaging design, that was that food item. Yep. Yep. Um, web and user interface, you're doing that because you do web design. You're like the whole package over here, Julie. <laughs> print and publication, so you've got all of those great print pieces that we showed up on the screen. Lettering and type designer, tell us about that one. Yeah, so that I, you know, especially I feel like in more recent years, hand lettering has become really popular. Very, like calligraphy, right? Mm -hmm. Very popular. Or, um, it, you know, that the old, um, letterpress typeset has been really oh, yeah. inspirational, like a lot of um, wedding invitation designs or like really cool posters. Um, so that's, I, I feel like that if you have like illustration techniques, that can be like a really fun thing to get into. And if there are some people that that's all they do because they're mm -hmm. so good at it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I thought, thought that would be a fun one. Graphic illustration, well, we talked about the difference between fine art and graphic. So that was interesting. And then data visualization and infographic. So I love infographs. Mm -hmm. And I remember when they, I don't know, I, I would say like maybe six, seven years ago, they became what I think was popular. They were probably out there forever long. It's just that now they've got this new name. Do you do a lot of infographs also? <laughs> yeah, I would say we do a fair share. Um, and those are always interesting because, well, I think the term infographic, it's thrown out a lot. Like sometimes people just mean like a graphic that goes on my website, yeah, which doesn't necessarily mean that. But when it's you know, showing the data, usually a true infographic is, it's like playing Tetris, trying to get all the pieces to fit right, and flow yeah. together. And 
it's they're actually kind of more complicated than you first think because when you, I first, think so. when you see them they just oh that looks great like but you don't know yeah. what went behind it you know what i think about I think about the game of life. Yes. <laughs> to me, that's what it is, or Twister. And I'm sitting here going, okay, so I've got all of this information and I have to make it so that somebody is meandering around the path and mm -hmm. they can digest it quickly, yep. I think. Yeah, that's so funny. So what does the future of the graphic design industry look like? Well, according to Valdemir Gendelman, he's the founder and CEO of Company Folders. He says that the future of graphic design is going to be elevated to new heights by being fused with augmented reality and eventually 3D printing. Julie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think those are things that are, you know, in the industry right now. Um, I know they've definitely been trendy. So I think it's, you know, just seeing how those things will play with you know, day-to-day -day life. Like sometimes if 3D, it's like, right? You yeah. know, like I can see that coming. I don't know if you get any any ask from customers for 3D work, but it is becoming very, very prevalent, I think, in a lot of uh, visual videos that we see, but also things that are beginning to play in the HR industry. Mm. Yeah. And it says 3D printing will force designers to stay updated on industry industry trends and move faster. And as technology becomes available to the masses, the need for quality design will be greater, but people will expect them faster. Mm -hmm. So I think this is really key to what it is that you're doing is you're showing your customers how if they want it faster, they can use Canva, but they also have you as the expert to come back to. Mm -hmm. I think that's very smart. So then we also have PJ Richardson. He is the creative director and co-owner of Laundry. And in his predictions, I think this is very interesting, in 10 to 15 years, there's gonna be a separation between technologically driven design and graphic nostalgia. And it's gonna broaden. So books, posters, signage, they're still gonna exist, but there's gonna be some unusual twists. So think about signage as it relates to like Mars and how people come back to that. Virtual reality will be even more functionally, um, fully functional. And it is going to be implanted either in contact lenses that we wear or brain implants. And it's going to require a new type of interactive meets and motion graphics where it meets also the film making approach to graphic design. That's terrifying to me. I don't want anything <laughs> implanted in my brain. <laughs> I don't mind the contact lens thing, but I'm sitting here going, no, you cannot, because I'm thinking about the matrix and they're like, you know, if you've seen that movie and they plug into your brain into the back area, I'm going, no, I don't like that prediction of how graphic design would be used there. Does it scare anybody else or is it just me? Technology has been getting very like invasive, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. It sure is. So, and then the third person is um, Calvin Carter. He's the owner and graphic designer and web developer at his company, Logo Amazing. He said, graphic design will be more immersive in 10 years. Paper will be obsolete. I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't guess, agree. Yeah, I agree. I think that people are tactile and they like mm -hmm. to touch stuff. So I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think some parts of print will be dead. Like, you know, newspapers aren't really- Oh yeah, bad. they're like- almost gone but um but you know you look at the statistics on direct mail it can so outperform email because mm -hmm. people are so like digitally overloaded yeah so. they are and so they still will come and look at that print piece you're yep. so right so every design will will be digital and with a website feel 
These does, designs will require layers allowing the user to click deeper into the design, ultimately selling the product without actually making a pitch. Now that was very intriguing to me because that's certainly making it more interactive. And I could see something like that actually working where if I click on a logo, mm -hmm. I might click on it and then go into maybe company culture mm -hmm. as to what it might be like to work there. And I'm thinking, okay, so is, is it maybe a blend of, of, of video or is it 3D or could it also be, and any of these could be true, but it was really thought provoking for me. I know that his, um, his particular outlook on on how graphic design will be seen it's it's kind of abstract but i really did like it very much he said graphic designers will need to create every design in this layered format realizing that they can't say or buy for example sunglasses that was an example that was previously mentioned in his quote i know i didn't share it but it was up there there's going to be a future population that will be blind to explicit advertising and they're going to be rendered just completely useless. So I feel like print, yes, I think that it will become a more blended approach so that you have to be more uh, in that 3D space or an animation. I think graphic designers will probably have even more special specialization mm -hmm. on their shoulders. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So here we are. We're at the end of our show. So Julie, tell us how our listeners and viewers can find you. Whatever you want to share, website, social channels, email, all of that good stuff. Yeah, so I'd say probably start at our website, jkcreative.design. Um, and then we're also um, the same handle on Instagram. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn. I think that's everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and they can also find you here at the fifth floor at where yes. we are. So there you go. So I want to thank Julie also again for being a guest here for the show. I also want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios and our production team. Caesar, good job. He's over there. He's being silent, but that's good. Um, our editing team, Steve Neese, Ashley Gonzalez, and Nala Ellie. She's our new intern. And our school partners, uh, Cornell Radio and Valencia College, and our favorite radio station, WPBR. So employers, please visit EnterPursuit at enterpursuit.tech and learn how you can get matched with amazing intern talent. And Julie, I cannot begin to tell you again, thank you. This was such a great um, show and we're gonna be sharing your show here. And, you know, you'll be famous all over the world. Oh. Well, yeah. thank you very much. This was very fun. So thank you both. This is what I think. I think by the time we get, you know, five years out, that's gonna be 2026. And even 2030, I believe that there will be more um, people using products, of course, like Canva. It's going to be very easy. The side of what graphic design will be like would be um, where it's, what is the word that I'm looking for? Custom. You're looking, people would be hiring because they want to have something that's got that custom look to it. It's not going to be something that is like a Fiverr or anything that people could do with a program like Canva. I also believe that there's gonna be more 3D and animation expected going into graphic design um, so that there would be a broader set of skills. I think that's what's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's, it's, I think it's gonna be in waves. 
um, like most like most trends, both in in the graphic design industry and in fashion, for example, it seems to come in waves. So a lot of things that are popular now will start to fall off, and things that were were trends and 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 designs and color palettes that were popular. I don't know, 10 years ago, we'll start to come back into fashion and come back into norm. Um, everything from going from super simplistic logos to more detailed logos and vice versa. Yeah, I, th I think there's gonna be a, a, a shift in how the design world looks at design as a whole. I also think that, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, it will definitely be used Many times I wonder if it's going to be something that's either um, a wearable piece of product, like, you know, you can wear um, a shirt and it might have some type of lights in it and things like that nature, but it could be something that's even controlled with uh, some computer generated graphics that people are doing like in shows. Um, I think that we'll see it there like on America's Got Talent, honestly, I think that's the direction, but even more pushing the boundaries even more there. And then I also believe that there will be things that are embedded into our bodies. I swear, I think it is the matrix and I'm not sure how that's gonna happen, but I do believe it's either gonna be like contacts that people are wearing and they, they can see things that they may not have been able to see. They'll be able to just look at it and make a design appear. I, I really do believe those things are possible. Yeah, I think that's that's I think that's a bit further out into the future. But yeah, I do I do definitely think that technology is going to play a bigger role in the design world. Uh, from again, from the aspect of the programs that we use and how we use them, but at the same time, a lot of it's uh, I think augmented reality is going to start to play a bigger role. Yes. In, in, in advertising and in uh, you know just communication as a whole. I agree. I agree. Well, thanks for spending time chatting with me on that one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>